Our panel of break-fix petrolheads are back for another rousing what-should-I-buy debate. Using unique shopping criteria, they are challenged to find our first-time collector the best vehicle that will make their friends go, where do you get that? Or what the hell is wrong with you? At the next Cars and Coffee. What's going on, everybody? I'm Brad. With me, as always, is my co-host, Eric. Hey, We have a special guest tonight. We've got John from the Project Motoring. He's also a GTM member. All right. As you might recall, we've mentioned many times before on this show, the constant debate within GTM called, what should I buy? Not an HHR. And in tonight's episode, we hyper-focus on which V8 convertible should I buy? So, John, describe your shopping criteria. So, we were talking earlier a couple weeks ago. Hey, summer's coming around. We've all been locked inside for COVID. Maybe we're not tracking so much, but what would be a fun summer car if we wanted to buy? as a toy. So naturally, a lot of us have coupes and sedans and really have their, their sports cars or anything. So we're thinking, what is a good open air car to have? Now, obviously there was a lot out there and we were kind of narrowing it down to V8s for more for the driver experience, the audible noise and all that. Our idea, our debate went into what V8 convertible could we buy or would we buy if we were in the market? Now, a lot of questions arise out of that as far as price points, new versus old and uh, those are some of the things we wanted to get to and talk about and maybe flush out here now so let's do some clarifying questions here john some of the most important being does this need to be a manual car manual transmission car i would say it, it there is no requirement for that i actually was thinking of some that are not because that would be the buyer's choice so if this isn't going to be strictly a track car but just a a toy car a street car just something you want to cruise around in, or if you want to beat the balls off of it at the drag strip or something, that would be buyer's choice. I have a couple suggestions that one actually is an automatic, others may have some as well. Not only is manual extremely rare in today's new and even uh, somewhat late model used car market, convertible and V8, those are uh, three, I won't say dying breeds, but certainly three traits that are hard to find together. Absolutely. So I think in the new car market, there's maybe you know, cars that are of that ilk and are, are less than $100,000. I think there's maybe four in the market. Mm-hmm. So, so my, no, there's no requirement for me. Okay. Okay. So my other question then is, could it be an engine swapped car where it didn't start its life as a V8, Ooh. but it can accept a V8 as a project car? So I would say I would add those to maybe the honorable mention list because I think the spirit of this car is maybe not so much spending that much time on it. I, I think once we start doing engine swaps, the sky is the limit as well as your money and imagination. So I think it's cars that we can kind of turnkey go. Okay. Um, but I, I am interested to hear some of those ideas because instantly you start talking instantly. I mean, you could fit an LS in anything. So 944 <laughs> convertible with an LS swap, right? I mean, like, let's yeah, just- right? I can end this podcast right here, right now, oh, with Lord. one one car. <laughs> Nissan Murano Cross Cabriolet. Right. Boom. Oh, right. man. Right, what? right. right. right there. Right. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. I'll talk to you all later. <laughs> so, you know, Brad brings up a good point. Here's something I didn't have on the list, but just uh, your Nissan Murano makes me think of it. What? Like, uh, what? GT GT Cruiser, right? No, no. Any, you know what I didn't have on the list, but it absolutely meets the criteria we're talking about. A, a Ford Bronco. 
That was actually one of my clarifying questions. Did it need to actually be a car or could it be a SUV hey, or truck of some sort or truck? I think, I think open air motoring is open air mo motoring. Okay. I mean, if you wanted to have an aerial atom with the Hayabusa V8 in it, um, there you go. Uh, that's you can true. certainly bring that up. I don't know but if that's a you have viable a, car. You do have a price point though, right? What is your- right. So we're thinking this is obviously not going to be, or it could be a daily driver, but certainly not in the Northeast. It would be difficult. I mean, for the more brave, they can do that. That's going to uh, include some tire swaps for winter tires, different set of wheels. And now we're getting into different things. I mean, if the spirit of the car is it to be a toy car, um, it's generally going to be a, not primarily a daily driver or maybe a seasonal driver. So I would say it's probably going to be on the cheaper end of things. So I would say most people for a first car, they might have a budget of $50,000, right? So just for argument's sake, I was gonna say that's pretty much the cap. I think the realistic range here for the majority of the audience or just the, uh, the public, if they're getting a second or third car that's a toy, you're probably gonna be anywhere between 15 and 30,000, depending right. on what your situation is and kids. Okay. But I think anything with an asking price of 45 or 50,000 market value, there's going to be examples where you can find them for 35 or 40. So. Exactly. And, and just to clarify, who is the we in this equation? You keep saying we, we, we. Uh, right. Just to, to see, is this with your, your, your dad or your, your mom or who, who's the we? Is it with Arigo? <laughs> no, I, I, I think uh, we in the conversation is, is mostly some of, the, some of the people talking about the topics and trying to flush uh -huh. out. I, I wasn't sure if you were doing this, this with a group of people. No, no, no. So I think it's just mostly just some of what we were talking about before in preparation for this. Uh, and I think some of my suggestions are actually going to revolve around different buyers. And I'm going to point right. that out. Different cars for different folks for different situations that might be better or others. So. so to John's point, right, I think he's referring to the GTM Royal We, and I'm going to put air quotes around that. Just to take a step back to clarify for the folks that aren't on the What Should I Buy channel on Slack, I actually posed this question a couple of weeks ago, as you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, where it was like, hey, I'm already thinking about my next project car and I'm leaning towards a convertible, a cabrio, a vert, whatever you want to call it. But my criteria isn't nearly as sharp as yours is because I'm okay with a four banger. I'm okay with, you know, it doesn't matter really the power plant. I wanted something fun, a little bit stylish, but I'm also a lot cheaper. So for me, I want to chop that last zero off of there and go, what can I buy for five grand? Right. And then by the knowing, knowing me and how, you know, kind of anal retentive I can be about the build. Yeah. I'll, I'll probably end up being close to 30 by the time I'm done. I guess my starting price point is very different. So that was actually another clarifying question I had on my list was, are you 100% locked into a V8 car? I mean, I want to have this debate about V8s for sure, but I want to know if I can pepper in some oddballs as we go along as a possible consideration. So I had, I had a couple of thoughts about that too. Looking at the market, a lot of the new cars are actually six cylinders or four banger turbo fours or even turbo sixes to replace the eight cylinders. I think NA motors in general with emissions and fuel regulations are, are dying. So again, it's gonna really limit A, both if you wanna buy new, because if we're talking up to $50,000, you can go buy a lot of brand new cars and then some, uh, if not two of them, some of these. I would say, I certainly wanna discuss the best options for that engine be damned once we kind of flush out a little bit there, because I think there's a lot of strong contenders. Uh, I was actually looking at a list of brand new convertibles for sale at dinner tonight, and it's not a lot of cars, and I think it's something like less than 20% of them even had a V8 
And very much to your point, when I was researching, I was just kind of, you know, doing the cursory cars.com, eBay, auto trader stuff and just going, okay, start with just convertibles. Yeah, I got 3 million cars to go through, you know, that are available from, you know, 1900 to today. And then I start adding a manual transmission and a V8 and, and this and that and the other thing. And by the time I was done, I was like, I got 500 cars to pick from nationwide. So it really narrowed it down. And that's why I wanted to make sure that, you know, your search criteria was a little bit more open to suggestion because that can bring in some really interesting cars in that price point that you, that you brought up. And I know you suggested one this morning. So maybe we start with that. We were talking earlier and I said, you know what I was looking at, I was kind of thinking about this and I said, okay, so here we are. We're going to go in the very strictest interpretation of our own rules. So we have a budget of between forty dollars and $50,000 or less. We want an open-air motoring car. We want a V8, right? So what is the purpose of this and why are we looking for it? Like, what started the conversation? And the conversation was like, what's a good driving experience outside of what we're normally used to, cage cars or on track or everything? Right. So obviously convertibles or Targa, just we'll call it open-air motoring. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little more of wet noodles as a chassis, not necessarily known as as sharp as some other vehicles. Why are we like hung up on V8 for sound, right? We want that audible driving experience that the V8 mm-hmm. pours out. So when I'm thinking open air driving experience, back road bombing in the forty fifty thousand dollar or less range, I said, yeah, you know what? How about a 1989 to 1993, 94? I believe they ran up to 95 Ferrari 348s. The 348s are in a weird spot. There's still a four-valve motor, but for the 355s where they became the valve lash adjustments, you do have to do the service out, the engine out for the major. But maintenance aside, which you can skim away with, it's 300-some horsepower. You can get a convertible or a Targa. It's like 8,900 RPMs or 8,500 RPMs. They absolutely scream. They sound awesome, shrill. It sounds like a bike or an F1 car going down the road. Very Miami Vice. I mean, to this day, it's not the, it's not the most prettiest Ferrari but it's certainly one where it's quintessential Ferrari. It went away from the 308 and the 328 and the fact that it's got, it's kind of like the baby Testarossa with the thing. So it's, it's, it's a one-off styling almost, the 355 after that, went back to a little more classic lines. So I think the 348s are at the bottom of their price point, much like a C5Z will be. I, I don't think they're ever going to get cheaper than they are now. You can get a driver experience, quality car, for probably between 30 and 45. I mean, it's not going to be pristine. It's going to have 30 to 50,000 miles on it, but we're driving the car. We're not looking for investments, right? Here's the problem with the, with the uh, Ferrari, right? There's, there's two types of people. It's a Ferrari. That's the problem with the Ferrari. There's, there's two types of people who are going to buy the Ferrari, right? Especially with 348. One, someone who knows nothing about cars, but wants a Ferrari because it's a Ferrari and that's what they can afford. So outside of maybe like a Mondale, I just threw up a little bit in the back of my throat. Yeah, exactly. They'll go out and buy any Ferrari they can afford because it's a Ferrari. Now, if you look at 308s, 328s, 355s, even 360s, uh, the 360s are a little more. Uh, uh, a 355 with a rough uh, life or history is about the same price as the 348. And 308s and 328s or 348, ironically, they're all about the same mileage. They're all the same price right now. They're all between 30 and 60,000. The cleaner ones are more. The ones you don't want to deal with are less. The ones that are drivable and serviceable are in that range. So literally any car you want to buy from 1980 to like 1994, you can get yourself a, a, a Ferrari for $50,000. My suggestion would be the one with the most horsepower and the newest and most modern chassis. Anyone who drives a 348 or reviews it says it's absolutely amazing. Now, with that being said, 
let me circle back. One, first person buys a Ferrari, doesn't care. It says Ferrari. It sounds cool. It looks cool. I know nothing about the car. I'm going to pay someone to do it. And I just want a Ferrari. That's your buyer at $45,000, $40,000. The second is someone who doesn't give a crap about the prestige or the fact that it's a Ferrari so much as the brand, as much as I want a car that's open air, handles awesome, very European styling, mid-engine, screams, a lot of fun, small. It's manual steering. There is no power steering on them. They're really the big go-karts at the time because if you ever look at the 348s, they're actually really small. They're an acquired taste. And I think you and I share that as the oddball that actually appreciate the 348 styling because it I, is- I, I enjoy them. It, they're very subdued. And, and, and I remember when the 348 Competizione came out and I really liked that car because it was slightly wider, you know, with the flares and the big wheels and all that. And it, it's, it's, I don't know, it was the proper evolution because I thought the 328 was such a letdown, you know, and we all fell in love with the 308 because of Magnum and kids of the well, 80s and all that kind of stuff. But that being said, it's still a Ferrari, right? But I, I think we can give you some options. I mean, it, it does check all the boxes, right? But there are a lot of other cars that check those same boxes and actually cost less and are less maintenance and less burden. Certainly. So you don't casually buy a 348. You seek no. it out. So either you want the drive, you're, you're all in on the driving experience and cost be damned, or you're all in on the brand experience, cost be damned, right? There, there's no middle ground with Correct. 348. I will agree with you. I would love a 308. I was lucky enough when my father had one. I grew up with one. I wouldn't touch a 328. And the 348, even though it's the same car, is like completely different in my mind because it looks like a little baby Testarossa. And the 355 is just in another world as far as just maintenance and performance. But yeah, so I think I think if, if you were dedicated you, to have you, one you, or the other, don't you lose different. don't you lose the gated shifter in the 355 though? It doesn't. No. So what you lose in the 355 that you don't have in the 348 is the dogleg shifter. So they're still mm -hmm. gated, but the 348 is five speed and the 355 is six speed. So instead of having one and then two three. You have your traditional one to your H gate. So uh, not, not to diverge too far off, because we could probably have a whole episode about Ferraris alone, but which one was the first one with the little joystick shifter? So the 355 is a, is a transmission that uh, debuted the, uh, the F1 transmission. Yeah, yeah, terrible. That's, yeah. It, uh, ate up clutches. The 360 also had an F1 transmission. They got better, but it's still very terrible. The 430, I believe like 95% of them were the whatever version of paddle shift they want to call it. So if you find a 430, that's an actual gated shifter, that's going to be the big car that they're appreciating value. They actually cost more than the new Ferrari right now. And then the 458 are all automatic. Now I'll say this though, the 348, I don't like it as a convertible. That's just a personal thing. I think I would not get a spider. I, I, I love it as a Targa. Uh, I'm not a big convertible guy in general, unless it's a hardtop. So Targa brings up another thing that we can add are you considering targas as op the open air experience some people oh, yeah. say they're not some people say they are so for your for the act of this for the purpose of this exercise you are including targas yeah i would because i think the broncos and stuff like that would fall into uh... let me give you a a counterpoint to the ferrari like i see the ferrari is too far out in the extreme like i would never recommend that to somebody in our group to say, hey, you want a convertible to go have fun and take your wife out or your girlfriend or, or whatever, your, your significant other or your dog. <laughs> I don't care. Right. But the, the, but the point is, like, it's not a car I would just foist on somebody that didn't have the means to really appreciate it and take care of it. So the opposite extreme of that, because I was digging in and looking at the price points, Model A Ford, Ford Roadsters, 
there's a bunch of those kinds of old hot rods that are actually cheaper than the Ferrari. They're a right. lot of fun. They make a lot of noise. Right. You a know. bucket. Yeah, exactly. Right. But they are also have the same problem as the Ferrari in the sense that you have to be able to, to appreciate those cars, maintain them. They're usually a hodgepodge or potpourri of like this Ford actually has a Chevy motor in it from like, you know, 1990 in a 1948 chassis. You know, I'm just making those numbers up, but you understand. From a dump truck. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but you understand what I'm getting at. Right. So you can't, yeah. so, you can't go into those cars blindly either. Yeah, I'll agree with you. And I, I think I'm just going to rehash my point before. I, I think my example and now yours with, with, with the Model T or, or a T-Bug that I think is a fantastic example is that you are not casually going into that. Like that's something that you're like, hey, this is what I want for, for any, any reason, whether it's the cool factor or maybe you understand the engineering of it. So like you said, it's either going to be a nightmare and you're wrenching on it and it's awesome like a factory five Cobra or anything like that, or so- you're just buying it because it was cool. So that is definitely on my list. My plan here is we're going to funnel towards like the ultimate decision. And that was actually closer to the middle is a factory five Cobra because of what it shares towards, you know, a more modern car, which actually brings me to my next point. So if we start, if we take the Ferrari and a model a model T bucket or a T bucket and a Ford Roadster as the outer extremes of this conversation and start to work our way, way in, if I'm coming at you from the left, the next thing I would tell you is 55 Ford Thunderbird, you can pick up for 25 K. Uh, Ford Galaxy convertible and a Pontiac Catalina. All of those V8s, all of those manual transmission, all of them drop tops. Uh, Packard Caribbean. I mean, oh, absolutely. If, if you're going into the 50s or 60s, to be honest with you, that's an entire generation I wasn't even thinking about. I mean, they made just about one, just about every car had a V8 in it. And two, just about every car had some sort of manual because automatics weren't prevalent uh, or that good. There were two speeds. Maybe a three-speed if it had a glide in it. But yeah, no, great, great. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. And then obviously any 60s muscle car. But yeah, I, I think those are cars too that I don't know if you're casually buying. Uh, I think you're seeking them out either for the fact that it is a 55 Thunderbird or you want that classic car. And as you know, I watch a lot of restoration shows or what we call restoration shows. And so, you know, the care, the care and feeding that goes into a lot of those 50s and 60s period cars versus the 70s, you know, proper muscle cars is a little bit different. Like the owners of those cars, they've treated them with the utmost respect. They want to keep them as original as possible. If they do resto mods, they're very tasteful. They're very on purpose to keep the car drivable. Like the new EFI from Holly, which is a bolt-on replacement for the four-barrel carb, a lot of the factory air conditioning, modern suspension, stuff like that, where the car still looks and feels like, you know, like a Cadillac or a Thunderbird or whatever it was from that era versus, you know, hey, I got a Charger 446-pack and it's blown and I got tails and, you know, flames and, you know, those cars are crazy and they're great and they, they have their audience too. But in this conversation, I guess we're, we're all kind of focusing in on a cruiser here. I have a fondness for those, you know, 50s and 60s convertibles and I think a lot of them for the money they're big value and when you get them as long as you don't do the whole bought it online without really looking at it and kind of you know knocking the frame rails to make sure they're they're you know they're solid and all that kind of stuff you're actually getting good value for your money because a lot of those those Thunderbirds and the Catalinas and stuff they were running about 25k you're talking Impalas uh, in the 60s and 70s they're they're in that price range some of the issues I see with that is so if you get one that you actually don't have to work on, if it is any kind of original or if it's been resto modded to a certain point, you're going to be on the upper end of the budget, if not over. And if you, if you are under it, you're going to end up being over it. 
and very much to your point, that's why a car like the Barracuda, a Barracuda convertible or a Cuda convertible, because Barracuda and a Cuda aren't the same thing, actually. It's right, they different change, package. Yeah. yeah. But a, like a Cuda convertible, you're looking at easily entry price of about 75K, right? So that's why it's not on the list. Right. I mean, I love those cars. I mean, I love those old 70s Challengers, but that doesn't fit your search criteria. So that's why they're not on the list. So, so let's come at it now from the right side, from the modern side. So we know the Ferraris are on the extreme. So what's the next? notch on the belt inwards from the right so i know you had mentioned one thing so i was gonna let you lead that it lead that charge there and then i, I have some ones to talk about as well it's gonna turn it over to brad because i think he had an idea if we're oh, not locked in, to hear it. if we're not locked into v8s i think brad has a good one uh well the nissan murano cross cabriolet <laughs> is everybody's dream but they're hard to come by they're very is rare is that a vq in that uh, I believe so. I, I think so. So it's got, the did they put the thirty seven in it? So that's it's like got some power. Right? Yeah, it's, hey, man. it's it's got the the prestige. All right, I'm, 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 if you're getting a Murano Cabriolet with a VQ, I'm buying an HHR and cutting the top off. There you, there you go. If you're thinking about what we've been talking about, he's already got a project car right sitting right behind him. That does yeah, it. If you're just listening, you can't really you can't really see it. But yeah, he's already got a, a '60s Mustang that he's working on. He doesn't want another project, so it has to be turnkey. Correct. I, being the four by four enthusiast, the off roader inside me, and everything, I'm going to go a little different direction than what we've already talked about. Yes, the haha cross cabriolet, great car. Everybody should get one. No, you're not a true motors. You're not a true motorsports enthusiast unless you own a cross cabriolet. I'm just gonna. Throw <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm. I'm thinking. Is it British? No. Yes. Yes, it is. Is it, is it a jag? It is no. not a jag. I know. I have. A, I have an idea. It's a Land Rover Defender. Oh, hey. Actually pretty <laughs> you, good. You can get a 90s, 96, 97-ish you know, Land Rover Defender. It's did, got the same the feel as, the, as like a Wrangler, but right. it's, it's not a Wrangler, so you're not a, did you hear you're that? a Jeep bro. Did you hear that awkward little pause in the audio there? That was the Lucas Electronics failing. LS <laughs> <laughs> swapped the world. Buick 400, I think, in those things. Or no, sorry, smaller than that, but it's a Buick V8, if I recall. In the 90s? Yeah, like Matt's, uh, Matt's Land Rover, his LR, his Disco 2 is a Buick V8. So it's probably a very similar motor. I, growing up, we had a 64 International Scout. I mean, it was a rust bucket, but we took the top off. And that was, so I, I totally get, and I didn't even think about, we, we mentioned Bronco several times already, and I know they're coming back out with it. But yeah, no, that's a, right, that's a, that's a solid pick that I, I totally in preparing for this, I totally whiffed on until we, we called. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait, wait, that'd be, that'd be super cool. Um, some kind of Wrangler. Open I want, I want one. It, just cause I've had Wranglers. I've had rain. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll do it so, eventually. <laughs> so how does the Range Rover discovery, whatever model you said work, you buy it for three grand and you put 40 into it. So it runs, well, no, you buy or, two of them. You buy two of them like Matt did and you make one out of it. That's the discovery. The Defender actually was a, I mean, the nineties Defender pretty was simple, a pretty, right? pretty decent model. They were, they're very rare because they didn't bring very many of them over here. So that, that means they're very expensive. Old. If it's older than 25 years old, we can import one rather easily. But it depends on what your time frame is too. This isn't something you're going to run sure. down to the dealership sure. and buy. I, I think that's as solid as that device is. I think we're all falling into the trap is that we are enthusiasts. 
So that is a full on down the rabbit hole choice as much as say the 348 or the 60s or 55 Thunderbird is a fantastic choice. But I, I think that misses maybe the spirit of the mainstream turnkey of what we're trying here. Cause I think that would be a great love passion for you as much as the Ferrari would be a love passion for me or those 50, 60 errors for, for that person. So to shift it back a little bit towards some of our earlier conversations that led up to this, I know Eric had a couple of things that he wanted to bring up. Yeah. So one of the ones from the right side, and I need verification from you being a diehard BMW guy, was there an E92 convertible? <laughs> He's, got the list. He's got it on the list. He's got it on so, All right, so there. hard top convertible V8, the only year with the V8 in it, and it comes with an automatic to DCT. It's actually pretty good. That was going to be my counter to a car that you were going to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, we're not there yet. That, that's the answer. <laughs> that, was, that was going to be my counter to that. But, uh, yeah, so an E92 M3 did, comes with a six-speed or DCT if you just don't even want to worry about driving it automatic. It's got a rear seat that's actually usable, a hardtop convertible. Since I had that written down, I, I, I checked some of the prices on them. They're ranging anywhere from, believe it or not, like $18,000 for a high mileage one to about thirty dollars for a decent one. Like any BMW uh, M motor, especially from the E4 Tom Ward, you got to check the rod bearings on them. It's a point of failure. Interesting fact, the V8 in the E92, uh, the S65, which has eight independent throttle bodies, uh, is it aluminum and actually 20 pounds lighter than the S54 it replaced, which was an inline And they sound awesome. They get abysmal gas mileage at like 19 on the highway. I don't think but, any of uh, us are worried about MPGs. If not, I would tell you to right. the TDI. Certainly a, car, certainly a car you can go down to dealership in, find one, buy, buy it. There's a million of them. You'll get financing on it. It's going to be plush. It's going to be comfy. It's going to sound cool. It's going to look great. They still look pretty modern and it's super easy to drive. If you wanted to carve up a back road, you can. I know BMW is kind of like almost cliche at this point. It depends on who you are, but I think you could. I think you could acknowledge that uh, anyone going down the roads and be like, "Oh, it's a BMW convertible." The counterpoint to that car would be the SL55. Yeah. So let me let me point to another one on my list here. So right. that's the S so, SLK AMG. <laughs> no, 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 but not the SLK, the bigger, the, oh, yeah. the bigger cruiser. That's certainly upclassing so, the M3 into like a, a six series. So yeah. let's, bu let's bundle all those together then, because I had on my list the F-Type, right? Because those, as we know, Porsche Al just got a coupe and it wasn't, it wasn't hard to make those convertibles. Yeah, they did. Then you have the S5 V8 convertible. What, what was the one before the F-Type, the XJ? Yeah, there's there was, there was, was the, X, the, the, the XK. The XK. XK yeah. was a convertible. I wouldn't buy right. it, but yeah, it has a V8 so in it. You can kind of lump all those together. You could also throw in the Volvo C70 if you're going non-V8 car, just because of the hardtop. If you want to go all the way to the bargain basement on that, you could go all the way down to the VW EOS as well, because it's a GTI convertible. It's the, the 350, 370s. And the all the G37s, all those, for me, just they're all just blobs of of metal on top of wheels going down the road. No personality whatsoever. But no. have you thought about a Miata? <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. The answer to this podcast is not Miata. You mean a Fiat 124? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm all for that. Yeah. I'm all for a vintage one I would, too. If, if we're not racing it or tracking it, I would, I would take the turbo motor uh, just so I can play with it. And they make better sounds to me just because turbo noises. 
I think the Miata, they come with a decent automatic now, right? And the hardtop. So, I mean, certainly you can get in and go. I think a lot of people are going to shy away from how small it is if they're just looking for a little, I say how, how small it is and I say little, but I think what we were kind of lumping together as far as the luxury GT Boulevard cruisers, I think really that's going to be the majority of the picks for the, hey, I just want something to cruise around in. I'm not going to track it. I want it to be sporty, but I don't care if it's actual sports car. Let's still come from the right for a minute before I start going super vintage on you. What about the Camaro? The current Camaros, Gen 5, 6, I guess they are, convertibles. And they came in a four-cylinder and V8 options. Yeah, so they got rid of the six-bangers. Same thing with the Mustang. Mustang's got a four-cylinder turbo and the Coyote and the, the Camaro's doing that. You got to be careful, though, because they knew a new Camaro, especially like the 2SS or whatever the top-level package is, is actually the same price as about a base Corvette. So you have to ask yourself, do I need the back seat or do I need all the extra bells and whistles or I just want to have cool sounds and open air? Or the Corvettes are target tops, even the, even the base coupe one. So that'll handle better, be a better driving car. Totally different market and segments, even though we see a ton of them out doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. But I think for a street vehicle, you're talking something different. And then two, that's a rack top versus hard top. So I think that's a big point that we should probably discuss or you know, a lot of people are going to go into it. It's like, hey, I want a convertible. Or I want open air experience, but I don't necessarily want a rag top. So even if you get a Wrangler or a Bronco or a Defender, you're going to have soft tops and hard tops you can put on it. Uh, even if you have a Miata, you can have soft tops and hard tops you can put on it. Me, I'm more of a hard top guy. Had some rag tops. There's a rag top sitting right there and I hate them. It's kind of funny probably. because I feel like the hard top convertibles are – this weird way of trying to have your cake and eat it too. And it just, for me, it doesn't work. If it's going to be a convertible, you need to be able to reach up and throw the top back as you know, mm. while you're going down the road and, and not worry about, you know, all that other kind of stuff. Like even driving home yesterday from Summit Point, I saw a Bentley hardtop convertible and he was trying to put it up, you know, while he was going down the road. And I'm like, really? I mean, I mean, I guess it's cool, but like even those cars, like there's all the, convertible Bentleys and Rolls's and all those British cars, but they're not on the list because they don't meet the price point for another couple of years when the bottom falls out of them. If you're looking for, it's going to be your only car, then I can see the appeal to the hard top because you're making a compromise. Right. But if it's like a third or fourth car, it's going to be a toy. I don't think right. anything beats a rag top. I just think, I think they, the right car with the rag top just looks cool. <laughs> It, it's just it, they're just great like eric was saying throwing the throwing the top back at any moment like some of them they're all manual tops i hate to go back to the miata but like a miata is just a manual top you literally reach up you unclip two things and throw it back yourself i mean i, I think i like the the rag top versus the the hard top now granted the sl that i mentioned earlier was a hard top i don't think they had a, the rag top in that year that i was looking at i'm they more were- a fan of the rag tops they were rag tops up until 2002. Yeah, and I'm talking about the 2003s with the motor wow. that. Well, I mean, if that that goes into a different range now, um, but I was thinking the ones that they used to race against the the Terminator Mustangs all the time. There were the, mm. the the forum debates about what's better, the Terminator Mustang or the SL55. That generation of SL55 had the hard top convertible. Supercharged. Yeah. Supercharged. Yeah, they had the E55 and uh, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. In there. So, I mean, the, the SLK AMGs, starting from the first ones were supercharged, but then in 05 or 06, they went to the 5.5 NAV8, which is awesome. Downside, it was automatic only. 
but it's essentially a Cobra, a modern day Cobra, very tiny car, front heavy, big motor, lots of torque, super negative, light. Negative, negative. The only modern day Cobra is the Viper. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's a great point. So what can you get like a mid nineties Viper for now? And I, that, so, was, that would fit the thing. That's so I looked model. because, you know, I, I argue with Andrew all the time about this and, you know, he's, he's changing cars constantly. He just got that Elise, which is also an open air experience, right? With a very, it's, it's, it, it, you know, incredible cosmic power and an itty, itty, itty bitty living space. But, you know, totally. he and I go back and forth. I was there. Well, I make it feel like I was in Detroit when it happened, but we were all of the age when the Viper was released and you saw Iacocca and Carol Shelby on stage together with the very first Viper and you're like what am I seeing like what is this this car is from Star Trek right I mean it was it was so modern until you boiled it down and realized underneath it's a truck and it's basically a Cobra all over again you know 40 years later no assist no ABS it's it's bonkers but it's a timeless design it still looks good today you get a really well cleaned maintained even some subtle changes like going to the bigger wheels on the gen 1 vipers they just look fantastic right now andrews of the camp of the gen 2s i guess here are the mercedes built uh vipers and i'm just like man they to me that it's like i'm looking at the front of a school bus i don't like the big flat nose i don't like the the length and the width of them you know, there's something to be said about that V10, though. You're looking for sound. Oh, that's hard to beat. The thing is, though, who's buying that? I think that's the same person that's that's seeking it out. You're seeking out the Defender, the 348, or, or the 60s thing. So if, if I was, the, you know, Joe Blow and I had $25,000, $30,000 to spend realistically, and maybe or maybe even a little more like we talked about, am I buying an early to mid-90s car that could kill me? Or am I going to go down a lot and pick up that, M3, pick up that E-Class convertible, which is a rack top, you know, that could have a V8 in it. Tough sell. Or I could buy a brand new four-cylinder Mustang. I know that's what, why we were saying uh, V8 for the, for the experience. Yeah, exactly. But that four-banger makes more power than the 90s Mustang anyway. So, Especially with the power pack. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, even so, stock. So, certainly. so the thing about the Viper, though, is if you look at the price point of the Targa Viper, which it comes with its issues, right? If you really dive into those cars... They don't have windows. The door handles on the outside don't exist. That's why you really don't have the window. You got to be able to reach in there to do stuff. They're quirky. They're not fully thought out until they hit about 97, 98, 99. At that point, you're already about five years into the into the run and the build of that car because the, the GTS Coupe had come out. And so they made all these changes to them. And then those changes kind of trickled down to the Targa until they finally got rid of the Targa. Now, that being said, if you look at the price point, value for money, I mean, you're talking a 90s you know i guess it would be considered a really high performance sports car because it's not in the supercar category quite yet right because now we have high performance sports car supercar hypercar and god knows whatever adds after that but you can pick up a gen 1 viper for about 25k all day long i search for them on the regular just because it, it helps my boyish fantasy but it's one of those cars that for 25k versus the ferrari that we started talking about i can buy two in, in, in comparison, right? And have a parts car if I needed it. So for me, being a wrench turner, I'd be okay with it. And I kind of want that brutal experience that the Viper brings. Like, it's like, come on, man, send it. I, I want you to try to kill me. 
secretly I want to learn to tame that car, but you know, we'll, we'll get there eventually. And that's probably a topic for another day, but I, I still think the Viper could be a contender, but it's a very long reach for that everyday cruiser jump in and go have fun car, because I think there are some maintenance issues there with the car longer term. So before we go too uh, into the weeds and we can talk about this all night, I don't want this to run on forever. So it's too yeah, yeah. long for anyone to listen to. I have three uh, questions I want to ask either of you, uh, either of you, all of you, and then uh, I think we'll all answer it real quickly. So we're talking about some convertibles, and we brought we brought up uh, two seat first, uh, four seat. Mm-hmm. So what would be your preference uh, or your recommendation to someone who's saying, "Hey, I'm looking for a second vehicle, convertible," and then obviously because the chassis that you're going to look at, whether it's a, a, a two plus two or just a two seater, is different. Me, I'm thinking convertible. I'm thinking open air experience. While some of the two bus twos or even the SUVs are a great choice, I'm going with a two seater. Uh, I'm going with a four seater. <laughs> okay, and I guess I'm going with whatever suits my wallet at this point. <laughs> I'm not partial. I don't really care. You could, I, some I, I think you could find things that, that fit the wallet in, the, in either category. I yeah. mean, uh, how about Eric personally? What would Eric personally? So there's a difference. If I'm recommending for you, like I have something in mind that I think fits all the criteria and we can talk about that towards the end of the segment. But for me personally, if I'm just buying for myself, the Fiat 124, both new and old, um, I'm a big fan of 914, but then I already have one. So it's like, whatever. I like the 911 Targas, but I'm partial to the 964, which is your 1989 to 1992 timeframe with the 3.6. I'm... Outside of that, I'm actually okay with the Mark III or Mark III and a half VW Cabrios, the ones that look like a Mark IV, and they're actually not because a lot of guys do VR6 swaps on those. They're a lot of fun once you get them straightened out, all that kind of stuff. Even, even the back seat on that is tiny. Yeah, I'm not, I, but I don't care. I could put the kids in the back still, but I'm not putting four grown adults in that car. Another one I actually enjoyed driving, I got a chance to drive for a little over a week uh, while I was in San Diego, was a convertible Beetle with the five-cylinder. As weird as that sounds, that car checked all the boxes. It was the simplicity of, you know, crank the handle, throw the top back, plenty of power, plenty of torque, came in a manual, decent gas mileage. It was a great everyday car, you know, if it was just you. So, Missing three-cylinders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am a big fan of the 94 Audi Cabrio, the one that looks like the, the Coupe Quattro, but they chopped the top off of it, which it is basically the same car. That came with a V6. Sadly, it has a terrible automatic transmission strap to it, but that's easily remedied. I think in addition to that, I think the only two, other- car, Two or four? Two, two seats or four seats? Oh, I, I don't care either. I'm fine. Okay. But, but let me clarify why I said four, since there was that awkward silence you all were expecting me to say more and i thought i was just answering a question but yeah, anyway it's fine <laughs> yeah i answered the question that's all i was required to do <laughs> but for anybody that doesn't know me i'm six foot four and 300 pounds <laughs> so most of the two-seaters i'm not gonna fit i don't care how far the seat goes back or whatever i'm not gonna make it so i'm looking at the two plus two at least gives me room to, to put the seat back a little further. Uh, and well, to go with what Eric was saying, you know, if I'm going to list some of the convertibles that are on my, my hot list, the Defender, the Wrangler uh, are the two biggest ones because right now I'm on a big 4 by 4 kick. And I miss my TJ 
really, I, I miss it a lot. Uh, that, that'll go into another segment, you know, in another podcast later. Also, funny enough, I want like a 70s Beetle convertible. Yeah, the Super Bs. Yeah. And, and then I want a 60s Impala convertible. So if, if size wasn't the issue, Brad, let's just say theoretically you didn't have fitment issues. Or the cars that you had or you've been in two seats uh, that you have fit in, I mean, what would your preference be? For yourself, I think his preference would be to be six inches short. Yeah, no, 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 I don't think, no. I don't think that, I don't think he'd give that up. No, I want to be, I, I want to be taller. Um, no, I, I, my preference is still four seater. Okay. I'm still leaning. So my second question on the on the on two or three, I'm going to ask you guys. We'll start with Eric. Um, of the, some of the cars that we've listed, obviously we're talking about experiences, and uh, open air has been the big thing. And well, let's we'll go back to kind of why we pegged ourselves on on eight cylinders it was for sound. So I'll open it up to non eight cylinders, but of those things, what would be, especially the ones we've talked about, but this way we don't have to bring up something else. Uh, yeah. So it would be a, a motor that's like, Hey, listen, that's just got a very distinct sound. I think I have some ideas where you're going to go. So, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first thing out of my mouth is going to be VR six just because you know, it's in the blood. There are two other cars on my list that I didn't mention, and they're basically the same car, right? One is vintage and one is modern. The Carmen Ghia convertible, which I adore those cars, coupe and convertible, and the TT, right? And you know I already have a coupe, so it would be kind of cool to have a convertible. The sound of the 1.8 turbo, if you get the right exhaust, something from maybe from Tectonics or something like that, they actually sound really good. The stuff we run at the track, it's loud for the sake of being loud, right? So the VR has got a great sound, but if I had to really funnel in on a car, especially eight cylinders. on eight <laughs> cylinders, I'm going there, right? If I had to be reasonable about my purchase and say, I want something fun that checks the box, there are four or five cars on that list. Fox body Mustang, because the 5.0 back then sounds fantastic with a proper exhaust. And I would actually venture to say the C4 Corvette convertible, even though mm, styling wise, it's, it's, it's still very Knight Rider and that's fine. But the C5 convertible is another option because those motors sound great. You could also, <laughs> Brad's like falling out of his chair because I'm recommending a Chevy. And nobody, but, nobody chooses the Barbie Corvette willingly. <laughs> what the heck is wrong right. with you? <laughs> wait, wait. So uh, the, uh, clarify on the C4, are we talking the gen one gen two small block or are we talking like the lt1 the original lt1 which was still technically uh, a gen so small block, but they no, definitely no. had the crossfire and the uh, ignition and they have they do have a distinct sound so i would usually defer to mountain bay and bam to answer that question but in my personal case if it was my c4 corvette i would probably ditch all that and have an ls2 in it or i would put a zr original zr1 motor in it, right something like that because i can't leave anything alone <laughs> But to add to that list, Factory 5 Cobra, like Andrew Mason has, that is definitely an option because I actually love Reader. And they, yeah, Dan Reader, and they come up on the list when you search like cars.com in that criteria that I said, manual transmission with a V8 convertible under 45K, you can actually pick up replica Cobras for under 30. So I was like, value for money. And you want to, if you're building one done, you can't do no, no, it. I'm saying buying one, do... buying one ready to go, right? So for under right. 30, it's actually, it's a car that gets people's attention if that's what you're looking for it does it checks all the boxes now you have to respect that car and i will say they handle better from what i understand than the original ac cobras and all that kind of stuff oh, they're so two chassis cars yeah. i would hope so and and they have some advantages and modernizations and all that kind of stuff so it's a very much more tame car compared to the original right so that's on my list but 
I, you know, to kind of drive the point home again, being the responsible adult I have inevitably become, I guess, regrettably become, I have to argue for the S550 Coyote powered Mustang convertible. I do like uh, the way the Coyote sound. They have a certain spaceship sound to them that I just love. Uh, I don't know what it is. So Brad, what would be a motor, preferably a V8 that gets your, get your willies going the most of maybe something we talked about or that we didn't that maybe in an really, open air experience you would you would enjoy maybe it's uh, a really cheap the the, the, it, the, the, the 50 mustangs are they i mean there's nothing that sounds like them uh, the 50 mustang convertible is just the early 90s the the fox body not and then the an impala a 60s impala with a big block yeah, well, big block definitely has. Yeah, uh, four fifty four sounds fantastic. Like, like a four fifty four, four ninety six. Big old cam like and yeah, cam with like eight hundred lift and so, like. some something <laughs> something lopy. You know, it, it's got a nice yeah. little lope to it, but it but it's not like too bad where it's undrivable on the street. Um, something with a little bit of lope and it gets two hundred horsepower because that's how the big so, blocks work. Yeah, right. So uh, <laughs> uh, a very, I can smell the how rich it's running, so it idles super 60s drag strip mm-hmm. like every you've ever been around right yeah <laughs> basically so or if i just pulled you know a spark plug on any modern v8 <laughs> but i, I will say i will say in current times like what's going what's out for sale now and over the last say 10 to 15 years i don't think there's anything out there that sounds better than the mercedes amg v8s that is a hard sound to beat. It, they definitely have a distinct thump to them. So uh, my answer is going to be kind of obvious. Uh, my original, then I got two or three runner-ups. So obviously any the Dino-style V8 Ferraris, because in a 430, it was a clean sheet. It's not the, the Dino uh, engine from the 70s all the way up to, I think the, the 355 ended in 2000 or 99, 99. So, but the 360s ran to 05 or 04. Uh, and those were the last ones of those motors. So any, any any car that you pick there, probably a 355 or a 348, uh, the three, 355 or the 360 specifically because they had the five valve. So they just, they're 9,000 RPMs. They absolutely scream. Uh, people in my family have them. You guys have heard it. It's ridiculously loud, but it's so butter smooth. It sounds like an F1 car going down the road. Now, not everyone's can of worms. Sounds like two motorbikes going side by side sometimes. It's a little tinny, a little raspy. Not everyone's into that. I love it screaming. I just think it sounds cool. Uh, kind of why, believe it or not, I like the VQ. So the VQ sounds very similar to that. It's got that, that certain howl. Uh, even the VR6 has a, a, a very rolling howl same. similar to that. Yeah. You know, the VQ and some of the Ferrari motors are a little more uh, shrill, which I like. I will agree that the AMGs have an awesome sound to it, uh, very smooth. Um, but I will say that the newer Chevy LT1 motors actually sound different than the LSs. I had an LT1 and a C7 Corvette. And the thing that absolutely rustles my jimmies is I remember in, geez, 2014 or 2015, I was down at Daytona for the Rolex and the C7R had just came out. And I'm listening to it go by and for some reason, it could be in a pack of cars, and I can hear that distinctly from everything else. They just sounded like hammers hitting the ground. And uh, I, I really believe having having one and having heard others, especially ones with exhaust, that the factory LT cars, whether it be the new Camaro or, or, or the new Corvette, certainly have that very distinct sound. Different from the LSs, which was different than the small block, 
more of the style Brad was talking about at the lumpy, but they're still very smooth and they rev. And I think they just, they have a different base to them. I can't define it, but I think those, that sounds. It just dawned on me, John, you've been talking about Ferraris. I thought you said Fiero. Isn't that a target as well? Yeah, it could. <laughs> so doesn't have a V8 in it, luckily. Does have a V6. You can't supercharge them. I mean, you can't put a Ferrari body kit or V8 body kit on it. Fiero's, listen, we've had a few come out to the track on the rated car. I mean, if you want a Fiat 124, you get yourself a Fiero. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, right? Yeah, right. Wait, so, wait, yeah, wait, wait, wait. I interrupt this podcast with a special announcement. Oh, boy. Cadillac XLR. Oh, God. So that was actually the North Star motor. Mm-hmm. It didn't – so the Cadillac XLR, for people who don't know, is hard top convertible. It's a C5 underneath, even though it was around during the years of uh, the crossover from C5 to C6. But it's a North Star motor, so you don't have to change the oil for what did they say, like 100,000 miles, it can go without oil. Like, you won't have it, it long enough. It wouldn't go 100,000 miles before you needed head gaskets because they lead cool I all mean, the time. <laughs> my big problem with the XLR is they took a C5 and ran it through the same software that they used to produce max headroom, and we ended up with that car. I mean, it's like, who designed that thing? You know, so, I just don't get on, it. On one hand, you have to look at the XLR and go, what was Cadillac thinking, right? On the other hand, you have to, but you got to give credit to the XLR. They were going where an uncharted territory. And most importantly, you'll remember Tim Allen came out and was the one who announced this. That was the first V car for yeah, Cadillac. That's true. So that launched their whole brand. And the Cadillac XLR Vs are supercharged, North Stars, and um, supposed to be doing the same thing with that Blackwing motor. And, and, and I know we're supposed to be circling back to a conclusion here, which we will never... So I got one more question for you. <laughs> and that one question, why don't you finish? Go ahead. So, but I was going to say, there are some other cars that we're probably not even thinking about. Like, it, it kind of popped into my head. The uh, in, in Britain, it was the Vauxhall Insignia, which was sold here as the Buick Regal. But the Regal convertible, if you're just looking for something, I don't want to call it run of the mill, but if you're looking at something somewhat stylish, reasonably priced, you could pick up new. That's also another option. And it does come with a six-cylinder, GM six-cylinder. Well, they have, uh, oh. I mean, the Buick, was it the Cascada where it's a cruise? That's yeah, a, something like that. I think the Cascada is a, is an Eos or a Beetle if they still made them, or a Murano, believe it or not, if you wanted to go that route. But I mean, for, for the listening audience, I think we, as you mentioned, we're enthusiasts. So we're always kind of thinking German or thinking very high-end American. But there are other options to this equation, you know, uh, other So there's a, there's a, what was it, the Toyota Solaris is a two-door Camry. That's yeah. a, a drop top, fantastic car, will last forever. It's super soft. It's perfect for a rental fleet. And you can have that in your driveway, too, for about 10 bucks. the oil change will be more than uh than the car and uh, it'll have as much personality as um your dead grandfather so um so my last question i'm going to circle back is you're going to have to pick uh is somewhat of a conclusive one because even yeah. that's going to take some time of all the things we talked about, we wanted to go, hey, what's like a blue-collar car that can go out with a max, max, max of $50,000, preferably less, convertible that had a V8 in it. All the other options, automatic, two-seat, four-seat, SUV, whatever, open-air motoring, V8. Right? That was our thing, under $50,000. I think there's two picks here for each person, so I'll start with mine. So I'm going to go with my enthusiast, which would also be my personal pick. It's as we mentioned before, it's probably going to be any car from Modena. 
that you can afford that's not a Mondial because that's just terrible. But you want to pick a 308, be Magnum PI. You want to pick a 328 and be silly. I think the 348 or 355, you can find one of those price range. They're going to be a little more beat up, but that's really an enthusiast car. Checks all the boxes. It's open air. Sounds absolutely wicked. It will drain your wallet as fast as it drains the gas tank, though. So that's something you just got to be aware of. But, I mean, driver experience, which is what we were, like, really getting at. Driver experience, I think, is second to none. And I don't think you're going to lose any money on it as far as the value of the car. I think you'll be in that car whenever you pay for it. I think so. I think the only money you lose on that is the operating costs and the maintenance on it. Because if you buy a 348 today for $45,000, you're going to sell it in four or five years for $45,000, uh, regardless if you put 2,000 or probably 15,000 miles on it, which would be a lot. I mean, that'd be three, 4,000 uh, miles a year, which on those cars are a lot. Um, if I were to buy one, I'd probably be doing about five to 6,000, maybe 3,000 miles on it a year. It's about what I do in the toy cars now, especially if it's a street car. If I wanted something a little more mainstream, something that had Bluetooth, something that had heated seats, something that was a little more comfortable, or I just, hey, I could, you know, it's a nice day out. I can drive it to work three, four days a week if I wanted to. I could take it to the beach. I could park it in the supermarket and go to CVS and not care about dinging it up or every person asking me a question, whether it's a Thunderbird or uh, an older British tank that's going to get a lot of attention or a bright red Ferrari. I'm going to go with the, the E92 M3 hardtop. I can live with that on a daily basis if I wanted to. It goes up and down. Uh, the three series, they're they're very plain in their execution, so that they get a lot of uh, rib. They get rib for that, uh, but that's a good thing in this scenario because it's not going to be a ton of problems. The BMWs have some issues, but they're pretty straightforward. Cars been around long enough where a lot of the problems are uh, easily solved. It's we're not figuring things out anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, we know which ones to avoid. We wouldn't know which ones to find. Uh, your wife could drive it. I say that in the sense that anyone can drive it. So if they don't drive a stick, it's not a problem. There's a, a really good transmission there. It's not just some slush box. If you don't want the rattles of a rag top, you got the hard top. It's a V8, bad on gas, seats four, it's got a nice trunk. I mean, you can drive across country with it. You can drive, um, uh, it'd be perfect one lap of America car if you want to do uh, a convertible. So it'll go on track and go there. And realistically, they're way under budget, right? So you could probably get a really nice example for 25 to 30 and have some money to, left over. If you had to spend that extra money, if you had a $45,000 cash or check that you absolutely had to spend, you could spend another five, dollars $10,000 on the car, making it your own, whether you do some wheels or some suspension or whatnot. But I think, the, generally speaking, the type of people that we're recommending these to aren't necessarily doing that. So, hey, listen, save some money. Get a cool car that looks a lot more expensive than it is because it's still a BMW. It's still only last year's BMW. The G20 just came out. So really, it's only a generation old, even though technically it's two. But most of the general public won't know that. They all look the same. And then you go from there. So my, my, my personal enthusiast pick would be probably a 348. I think the, the run of the mill, if I were to say, hey, I want to look at a convertible. I want a V8. I want it to sound cool. I'd say go get yourself an M3. E92 M3 and my runner-up, which we didn't talk about, would be any uh, C5, C6, C7 Corvette that you can find in the price range with a target top. You pick your styling. They're all truck motors with stout transmissions and do smoky burnouts. So just pick one that you like uh, and go from there. Uh, so for me, I'm going to break it down to off-roader, low and slow, and just street cruiser. So for the off-roader, obviously, I want to do a Defender, uh, like a 90s Defender or a TJ uh, Wrangler with a motor swap. 
probably uh, an LS1 because they're they're you can they can be had for relatively cheap, uh, and they there's all kinds of kits out there you know that fit right in. For the low and slow, I'm thinking like a 60s and it's a low and slow A and B. It's a 60s Impala or a 60s Lincoln Continental. Nice. Um, the the, the four suicide doors. The, the yeah, four door suicide doors. I don't know. I don't know don't if get, a well sorted. Yeah, I don't know if a well sorted one's going to be in the budget. Um, those cars are pretty desirable, especially after Entourage came out. So, so a decent one is about twenty five, thirty thousand dollars. I know because I I look constantly because I love those cars. Okay, so so then yeah, that 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 ticks all the boxes for me. Also, for just regular cruiser drop top. It, turnkey you go to the dealership pick one up anywhere the the sl mercedes with the the v8 it doesn't necessarily have to be an amg probably without the amg moniker makes it better for daily driver use uh, and parts are going to be a little bit cheaper because it doesn't have the amg tax and things like that i, I think the sl mercedes of the 2000s uh, the early 2000s i think those are my picks they like invented sporty convertibles the sls in the 50s with the gold i i will do an honorable mention and it's going to be uh, a 50 fox body mustang of the yeah the fox body generation sam is so proud of you right now so brad a t-top fox body or a soft top ragtop fox body uh i said fox body mustang t-tops only look right on camaros you know the mullet's got a flow in the wind behind you (laughs) i oh man I, I love me and I rock, but go ahead, Eric. All right, so I'm going to lead with my number one pick for anybody that's looking for a turnkey vert in the last four years. That's got to be an S550 Coyote-powered 5.0 Mustang. It's a handsome-looking car. It looks good as a coupe. It looks as good as a convertible, and a lot of people say, no, it doesn't, but I actually, I've looked at them over and over. The silhouette of the car is fantastic. It doesn't lose any of the appeal that the coupe has. It's got all the same packaging, all the same, uh, you know, electronic stuff, all the creature comforts, everything you could ask for is in that Mustang, right? At the end of the day, that for me checks every box on the list and Ford warranty and everything else that comes with that, right? And I could go buy one today. Unlike the M3 where I have to go hunt for one, the Mustangs are more plentiful. They're just, they're everywhere. And the price point is well under the the MSRP that you put out in terms of what your budget was. So I think, again, the Mustang comes in a variety of colors. If they made a GT350 convertible version, sign me up, you know, with that flat plane crank, you can't beat that sound. Sorry. That would be 70 or 80,000 dollars. Yeah, but you get my point though, right? So oh, absolutely. There's a lot of things you can do with the Mustang. The other thing I look at is I'm not a fan of the hard top, like we talked about. The soft top is fine for me, but the aftermarket following for the Mustang is also much larger than every car we've talked about here. There's wheel packages, brake packages, stuff you can swap. Uh, you want body kits, you want wings, you want, it doesn't matter. You want bling, it's available, right? So I also look at it from that perspective because everybody wants to personalize their car. The E92 M3 is an example. It's a solid car. It's a solid choice, but you're limited in what you can do. And you're also still running around in those kind of German circles of if you can't get the parts from Bimmer World or ECS, it's the only place you're going to get the parts from, right? Ford, I can I can get parts for that car and maintain it at every 7 in every state right it doesn't matter you could buy a coyote from walmart right personal like this is the car i have to have because i'm having an absolute midlife crisis there's really three of them (laughs) in that category for me the factory five cobra 
the Dodge Viper uh, Gen 1 and the Fiat 124 Abarth, right? But that's a personal guilty pleasure. I'm losing my mind and I have to have a convertible car. All of those fit those price points. But if I have to stay true to my roots and pick a VAG product, I would get an S5 Cabrio with, if the manual is an option, I would do it with the V8. But I have to have the chains fixed, right? And the chain guides fixed. Immediately. Right. Immediately. It's like a 911 with the IMS bearings and stuff, right? So what, what year did they switch to the supercharged motor? The 3.0? That like 12, 13? Yeah. B, I don't remember. I don't, I, I've, I've separated myself from the B6, 7, 8, 9, 10, whatever the heck they are now. Yeah. But, but I just know that, you know, those, those 4.2 motors, when they're taken care of, they're actually quite reliable. They make good power. It's easy to get 400 out of them, especially if you do like an RS chip and stuff like that. So those are what, 8,000 RPM, 85? Yeah, they spin pretty high. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. And the other thing is you can get them with Quattro, so you can actually use it in the wintertime. So I see that for me, it's also a four-seater, a two-plus-two. Uh, so you can use that even to cart the family around and use it as an everyday car, even as a convertible. So that pretty much, you know, kind of wraps up my thing. But I, I would still, if I'm recommending for somebody else, it's really hard to beat that Ford when you really look at it compared to everything else we've talked about here. I think the S5 is a, is a fantastic choice. I know we didn't talk about it much. Um, I'm surprised you don't have one right now. <laughs> I may, I, you know, hopefully I see you this weekend. You might be driving up on one now that we flushed it out and realize how much sense it makes for you in your life. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, no, guys, I enjoyed it a bunch. I know we could talk all night about this. Oh, absolutely. Um, hopefully we can pick some other topics or get back from everyone else and, and see what they say. Absolutely. Yeah, so thank you for being on as well. We appreciate you having oh, me. Oh, I, I appreciate being out. So as, as long as I'm around, hopefully I can, I can help you guys out. Absolutely. And this is a lot more civil than some of the conversations go on Slack. So I really enjoyed this. But with that, let me close with something real quick. I want to make sure the listeners understand, you know, uh, where, where we are on things here. As a full disclaimer, GTM's high-level assessment of all the cars we've talked about is based on our member and ownership experiences. And we urge you to do your own research and fact-checking before committing to any one vehicle. GTM is not responsible for your satisfaction happiness or overall track experience with the vehicle that you choose. Make sure to visit some vehicle specific online forums and or owners clubs for highly detailed and firsthand information on any vehicle you might be interested in. Did John write that for you? No, no, no. <laughs> he is the resident law lawyer in the group. The consigliere, yes. I got one question for Brad. When you're rolling in your 5-0, who are you listening to? Oh, wow. Snoop? No, it's got to be Vanilla Ice, man. You're cruising your 5-0. No, I'm, cr I'm, I'm cruising in my 6-4. My 6-4. Oh, all right, Dr. Dre. <laughs> Double dub. And on that bombshell, <laughs> I guess we'll end it. Peace. See you all later. You've heard us say it many times before. Without members like you, none of this would be possible. GTM also relies on its sponsors and partners in order to achieve all of its goals. And we wanted to take a moment to do a quick shout out to all of our affiliates out there. Chaz has used auto parts, hooked on driving, autofab race cars, OG racing, battery warehouse, radial tire, RLC automotive industries, Crutchfield decals and numbers, Brian Shod photography, auto Italia, ultimate outlaws, breach tech solutions, TLCT Motorworks, and Fontana Web Designs. 
Without you guys, it really wouldn't be possible. And if you're interested in becoming a supporter of GTM, you can always look to our website and become a Patreon member, but also go to www.gtmotorsports.org under about and look up sponsors and partners for additional information surrounding advertising. From all of us at GTM, thank you for your support. If you like what you heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out at www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey listeners, Crew Chief Eric here. Do you like what you've seen, heard, and read from GTM? Great, so do we, and we have a lot of fun doing it. But please remember, we're fueled by volunteers and remain a no annual fee organization, but we still need help to keep the momentum going so that we can continue to record, write, edit, and broadcast all of your favorite content. So be sure to visit www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports or visit our website and click in the top right corner on the support and donate to learn how you can help.